0: A, a new book, we'll be looking at this book of Jonah for four weeks uh, or so, God willing, uh, and it's a book that's, that's always captured people's imaginations, whether it's uh, kids' imaginations, if you ever open up a kid's Bible, the story of Jonah is almost always, at least part of it, is almost always there in the story. It's a, it's a story that captivates people, probably not only the petulance of the prophet, but also uh, the miraculous nature of being swallowed live by a fish, it tends to capture our imaginations. But it's not only kids who get captivated by the story. Uh, I've got here on the screen some pictures of uh, a series of postage stamps that Israel released to celebrate the story of Jonah. Uh, Quite a thing, when you remember that the story of Jonah is all about Uh, a rebuke of the Israelite people, God's own people, for I guess you could say their religious pride and prejudice, their their assumption that they were the centre of God's love and mercy rather than others. So it's quite an astounding thing that they might release this series of postage stamps. Uh, I've also got a photo up here of some carvings that you would find on the top of a burial box. Uh, The first one there, you might be able to just tell Jonah at the base of the boat being thrown over the side of the boat into the open mouths, not so much as something that looks like a giant fish but some other kind of uh, sea monster and then the next picture was, is on the same burial box, Christian burial box and you might be able to just see there this monster vomiting Jonah up um, out over the waves and onto the beach uh, as he comes up uh, for air three days later. And the early Christian community kind of saw in this story of Jonah, especially in his death, Uh, or he's sinking down into the ocean being swallowed by the fish and he's being vomited up onto dry land that we'll look at in a few weeks' time, Uh, a resonance with the story of Jesus' own death and resurrection. It was a story that captivated the early church as much as anyone else. Uh, In fact, it's also a story that has often been twisted and distorted in ways that confuse its primary message. People have often been uncomfortable with the kind of biting and sharp edge that this story has in the way in which it directs rebuke towards God's people. In children's books, you might be um, familiar with this, if you haven't seen it, see if you can find a children's book Bible over the next week and see how much of the story of Jonah they include in it. Often, the story finishes as Jonah is vomited out onto the dry land and he says, yes, I will go and do exactly what God told me to do and it doesn't include the rest of the story that isn't quite so flattering in its depiction of Jonah. Uh, The Jewish tradition was also a bit uncomfortable with the story. There's a a tradition uh, amongst many rabbinic commentators, that is, rabbis are just teachers of the Jewish tradition, who would say that actually the story, the main point of the story, isn't Jonah's mission to go and preach to the pagans, But God had some other special mission for Jonah that God sent Jonah to the underworld when the fish swallowed him. And there are all these other stories that that came up that were developed about what the real message of Jonah was that was a little bit more palatable to the way in which people thought. In, In Islam, in the Quran, it also retells the story of Jonah, reframes it, and in the Quran, Jonah is an Arabic prophet who perfectly obeys Allah, and does exactly as he is told from start to finish. It seems that many people who read the story of Jonah aren't comfortable with where it goes, and so they try and tweak it to make it a little bit more comfortable. The story of Jonah has a biting edge of satire to it. It employs a lot of the same kind of manner and attitude that we saw in the book of Daniel. You remember how the book of Daniel used satire to paint poke fun at the arrogance of pagan kings? Well, in the book of Jonah, that same satire is turned on God's own people, to highlight our own inconsistencies and concerning attitudes. Uh, How about we get into the story itself and see how this account of the prophet Jonah begins. We'll look at chapter 1 and verses 1 to 2 is where we'll begin. We read there, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh seems to have been, at this point, the capital city of the nation of Assyria. Assyria was, of course, one of Israel's arch enemies still not on particularly friendly terms nowadays. And in fact, just 20 years or so after the date of this story, Assyria was responsible for pretty much destroying the nation of Israel. And it wasn't only Israel who had this tense kind of relationship with with Assyria. God Himself wasn't on the best terms with the Assyrian nation, with the people of the city of Nineveh. Uh, We read in verse 2 there, that Nineveh's wickedness has come up before God. That's basically a way of saying that Nineveh has gotten in God's face, its stench has gotten up God's nose. In fact, the very same term, that this idea of uh, the Ninevites coming before him, is the same language that's used when God looks down at Sodom and Gomorrah and their wickedness, and he gets ready to smite Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone from heaven. Exactly the same phrasing. You know when you read that someone has come before God in that way, that it's not good news for those who have been drawn God's attention to them. Jonah is being called here to go and announce God's judgment. Now, you might assume that there'd be nothing better than being asked to deliver bad news to your arch rivals. Than being able to go to them and say, I told you so. Therefore, it should come as a bit of a surprise to us when we read how Jonah actually does respond to this call to go and declare judgment on Nineveh. Have a look with me at verse 3, where it carries on. Verse 3, we read, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Twice we're told there in verse 3 that Jonah decides to flee from the Lord. What does that mean? What What does Jonah have in mind when he heads out to flee from the Lord? Surely it's not as if Jonah thinks he can actually find somewhere on earth where God just doesn't have eyes and he can just escape God's attention. I don't think that's the case because if you look down to verse 9, this is where later on when Jonah is speaking with the sailors on his ship, he tells them that he worships the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah knows that God is a God who owns all the earth. I don't think Jonah has in mind that somehow he can get somewhere where God won't notice him. Uh, Literally there it says that Jonah flees from God's presence and often when the Bible speaks about someone entering into God's presence, it's speaking of the way in which the priests would enter into God's presence in order to serve Him, in order to do His will. Someone who went into the presence of God was serving Him and obeying Him and I think what we have here is that Jonah is just really wanting to go somewhere where he will be of no use In service of God. He doesn't want to serve God in carrying out this mission and so he's going as far away as he's able to do. And I think that explains why Jonah heads to Tarshish, you you might be able to see it up there on the map, it's in the opposite direction to Nineveh where God has called Jonah to go and serve him. Why? Why is Jonah so keen to avoid serving God by announcing judgment on his most bitter enemies. It's hardly surprising, perhaps, we, we kind of imagine, well, I'd be fleeing too, I don't want to go around announcing God's judgment towards people. But if you remember Jonah, Jonah was someone who really didn't have much, much love for the Assyrians. Every other aspect of who Jonah was wanted to see them punished. So why is he shirking on this opportunity to go and announce Uh, There's actually only one other place in the Old Testament where Jonah is mentioned, but it does help us perhaps understand Jonah a little better. Uh, This is from 2 Kings, chapter 14. I've got the reference on your sheet. You might like to look at it later. It's just a very brief mention, but there we discover that Jonah was an expansionist prophet. That means he preached and proclaimed that Israel was going to become great again. Uh, He preached that God would make Israel, great again. Always a very popular slogan to be able to pronounce to your own people that God is going to make your nation great. Jonah wasn't someone who liked to proclaim mercy towards God's enemies. He liked to proclaim that God would make him and his own people the centre of the world. And I think that probably helps us understand a little bit of why Jonah acts the way he does. I'm going to give you a bit of a sneak preview. Uh, Have a look with me towards the end of chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 10. I think we see here that Jonah, all along, suspected that God wasn't on the same page as he was. Uh, Jonah, being one who wanted to proclaim the greatness of Israel, he, uh, he suspected that God wasn't really going to be going in the same direction as he'd like to go. This is from the end of the story. I'm blowing the secret of how the story ends, Uh, but there's plenty of surprises yet to come, we'll find in next week's. Uh, So, this is chapter 3, verse 10, after Jonah has eventually preached to the Ninevites, we read, when God saw what they, the Ninevites, did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented and did not bring on them the destruction that He had threatened. So, we find out at the end of the story, the Ninevites end up escaping the judgment. But look how Jonah responds in chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. The book of Jonah is written to satirise, to mock those who are so obsessed about God's goodness to them that they lose sight of God's desire to show goodness and mercy to others as well. That's what this whole story of Jonah is set up to do, to mock or satirise those who are captivated with God's goodness to them, but have got no time for God to show mercy to others. And we'll return to consider these themes a few times throughout the next couple of weeks, but for just today, I want you to notice just this, that what most offended Jonah was that God would ask him to play any part in bringing mercy to those who didn't deserve it. Notice that God didn't actually ask Jonah to preach mercy, Jonah just had to go and preach, judgment is on the way, judgment is on the way, but Jonah knew that that preaching of judgment might stir the Ninevites to repentance, and he didn't want to have a part of it. He resented even being involved in God's plan in that way. And so, what does Jonah do? Uh, He does what probably most of us have managed to do at some point, especially when our parents are hollering at us to do something. He practices avoidance, selective hearing. We read that he went down to Joppa, he goes down into the lowest part of a ship, and he settles him down into the coma of a deep, deep sleep. Have a look with me at verse 4, where we'll pick it up. Verse 4. This is while Jonah is right at the bottom of the ship, uh, heading away from where God had called him to go. We read, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The storm is God's effort at grabbing the attention of Jonah. But Jonah is doing the equivalent of going down into the basement, turning his iPod up full, and putting his head under the pillow. He's being deliberate here, he hasn't just accidentally gone to sleep at the time when God is trying to get in touch with him. He's making a deliberate effort to become as deaf to God as he possibly can. And you know what is actually really pretty ironic and almost darkly humorous in this passage? Dark humor here. Jonah the prophet is supposed to be going to preach God's word to the pagans, to those who know nothing about God. But instead, here, it's actually the pagans who are trying to get the prophet Jonah to listen to God and to God's Word. Uh, have a look at verse 6, where the captain says, basically, uh, uh, Jonah, I think, I think God's trying to get your attention. Uh, verse 6, the captain went to Jonah and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe He will take notice of us, so that we will not perish. And then in verse 7, we find the sailors all trying to figure out who's caused this, who's upset God. Uh, verse 7, We read, "'The sailors said to each other, "'Come, let us cast lots to find out "'who is responsible for this calamity.' "'They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. "'So they asked him, "'Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? "'What kind of work do you do? "'Where do you come from? "'What is your country? "'From what people are you?' "'And he answered, "'I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, "'the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land.'" When Casting Lot identifies Jonah as the one who had been disobedient and had brought this storm upon them, the pagans declare, well, well, let's listen to God, let's do what He says, help us get out of this situation. And yet Jonah's not interested at all, is he? Verse verse 10, have a look there. Uh, When when Jonah says that he is uh, one who worships the God of the, the sea and the land, we read, this terrified the pagan sailors. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? The pagans are trying desperately to get the prophet to listen to God's word. The pagans are preaching to the prophet it's all back the front and it just shows Jonah in a completely ridiculous light, doesn't it? The writer of this story is deliberately making a mockery out of Jonah's status as a so-called prophet of God and yet he's showing the spiritual sensitivity of these pagans. We'll see more of this next week. I wonder if you did notice how Jonah replies when the pagans ask him, what should we do about this so that we don't drown? How can we avoid the ship being pulled apart and us drowning? Uh, Have a look at verse 12. This is Jonah's response. He says, pick me up, he can't even do it himself, right? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men, the pagan sailors, did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to Him. We'll come back and look at the pagan's response next week, in a little bit more detail. But here, what about Jonah's response? What do you think Jonah's response tells us about him here? Is, is Jonah being noble? Is 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 it a a kind of a selfless sacrifice for Jonah to say, uh, save yourselves, throw me overboard? Is Jonah finally growing up and taking responsibility for himself? I I don't think so. It might look like Jonah has changed his mind on the surface, but I suspect that really not much has changed at all. In fact, notice that Jonah doesn't do anything. He instructs him, you can pick me up and throw me overboard if you want. He could have just jumped himself, couldn't he, if he really cared? for the pagans' safety. Jonah could have prayed to God like the pagans had been doing. The pagans had got down on their knees and prayed. Not a word from Jonah. He could have repented and said, okay, turn around and take me back to Nineveh, just as the pagans had tried to do by rowing against the storm back to, to land. But Jonah doesn't do that either. Instead, we discovered that Jonah would rather just die He'd rather just die here, right now, here and there, rather than have to do anything that might promote God's mercy towards pagans. And so he answers in verse 12, just pick me up and throw me overboard. That's Jonah's solution. Chuck me overboard, let me die, let's just be done with it now. Uh, the call that God sometimes makes of us to display or to proclaim mercy towards others can be difficult and galling, can't it, sometimes? As much as we like to admit it, there is likely something of Jonah's heart slumbering within each of us under deck. Uh, perhaps those who have wronged us and expressed no remorse for having done so. Any call to show them mercy, that's pretty galling. Those who are ungrateful or unresponsive to the mercy that we've ventured to show them, perhaps, before, that can be pretty disheartening. Those who have, perhaps, mocked or despised God's mercy that we've risked speaking to them about, that can be frustrating and deeply disheartening. And in those kind of situations, it's often easier just to practice avoidance, isn't it? To to tap out and disappear below deck and leave others to their own devices. Jonah, an Israelite, a prophet of the Most High God, one whose only calling was to proclaim God's Word. He would prefer death in the depths of the sea rather than to risk promoting God's mercy towards those who he felt didn't deserve it. That's in stark contrast to Jesus, isn't it? Another Israelite who actively chose his own death, death upon a tree, in order that God's mercy might be declared to those who didn't deserve it, in order that God's mercy might be offered to those who were his very real enemies, who were trying to kill him, unlike the pagan sailors who were trying to rescue Jonah, Jesus willingly chose death to show God's mercy towards those who were seeking to take his life. Jesus and Jonah, two strikingly different responses to God's merciful character. While Jonah doubles down, unwilling to even risk God displaying mercy towards his sworn enemies, Jesus willingly descends to the depths of death so that we might feel the light of God's mercy shine upon us. Uh, The crazy thing, the bitterly ironic thing from this passage, I wonder if you noticed is that the very mercy and patience that Jonah resents God offering to Nineveh is the very same mercy that God graciously shows to the stubborn and hard-hearted Jonah at the height of his disobedience (sighs) and stupidity. That's okay, I think it's just the hi-hat, it's done now. I don't think it'll trouble us anymore. The very same mercy that Jonah resents God showing towards the Ninevites is the same mercy that God graciously shows to Jonah at the very height of his stubbornness and irrationality. Have a look with me at verse 17. We read there, this is after Jonah has been thrown overboard and is sinking to the depths of the sea. We read, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. At the height of Jonah's obstinacy, stubbornness, God provides for him. The mercy that Jonah obstinately resists, even facilitating, is the very mercy that ends up preserving Jonah himself from drowning in the depths of the sea. And there's a real tragic irony here, isn't there? The willful pig-headedness of Jonah that would resent God's mercy to the point that he even almost wishes to walk away from it himself. He doesn't even seek after it himself. So much does he not want the Ninevites to share in it that he's willing to see himself thrown overboard and not receive God's mercy either. And yet, God provides mercifully for him nonetheless. Now, while we ourselves haven't received the prophet's call, we're not like Jonah, right? God hasn't called us to go and announce to our city, three more days and I'm going to smite you. None of us have been asked to announce that kind of message as a prophet. But it is more than just a little bit perverse that the mercy that God has shown towards us is often so disconnected from where our own hearts stand with respect to others. And the Apostle Peter says that shouldn't be the case. That can't be the case. Look at these words from uh, Peter's first letter, chapter 2, where Peter writes to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And why has God chosen us? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. Uh, The vision of Summer Hill Church, a vision that we're going to reflect on a little bit more over the coming weeks, and unpacking a little bit more deliberately uh, over January, is that as a community, we might see and be people who are transformed by Jesus. That we might see and be people who are transformed by Jesus. People who have not only received God's mercy in Jesus, but people who are also transformed by having received that mercy, and so increasingly are willing to embody and to proclaim that mercy to others as well. Later on in January, I'm hoping that we're actually going to hear from several brothers and sisters whose own experience of God's mercy towards them has opened up in their own imaginations opportunities to share that mercy likewise with others. It's going to be great to, just to pause for a few times, a few weeks, in the middle of the service and hear how others have sought to show mercy in something like the way they have been shown it themselves. The book of Jonah is written though, to shake awake those of us who like Jonah, take For granted God's mercy towards us, but who remain dead to the world when it comes to embracing God's merciful heart towards others. It's one thing to be captivated by God's mercy towards us, it's another thing to share in God's merciful heart toward others. And yet, even when our own hearts remain unmoved by God's mercy, mercy is what God continues to show to us on a day-to-day basis. Mercy is what God continues to pursue us with, even when we don't want a bar of His mercy. God relentlessly chases us with mercy through all of our stubbornness and our disobedience so that ultimately, whether we like it or not, the beauty of His merciful character might come to be seen and known by others as well. And we'll see that throughout the rest of the book of Jonah, that despite Jonah's resentment of God's mercy, God's merciful pursuit of Jonah ends up showing and displaying his merciful character to many others as well. Let's pray and ask that that might be increasingly true of us as a church community as well. Dearest Father, we do thank you that you are steadfast in your merciful character. That even when we are confident to justify ourselves, you pursue us with mercy. That even when we can't imagine why it is we might need your grace, you continue to show your mercy to us. That even when we're at our least deserving of it, you nonetheless show your mercy towards us. Father, we ask that you would forgive us for those occasions in which we've been resentful or just uninterested in others coming to share in the experience of that mercy as well. Father, we ask that your relentless pursuit of us, your continuing display of mercy to us, wouldn't be unfruitful, but that in and through us, you might also display your character to others so that they come to know and experience you as we have so fortunately been able to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you join me in stand and sing as we reflect on the ultimate act of mercy? Jesus.